This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. No matter where we go these days, there seems to be a visual element to almost everything we see, work on, or do in our lives. Author Dan Rome has spent the last couple of years learning more about the changes we have in society and how visual communication has taken over much of what we experience these days. Dan has put this together in his book, Draw to Win, a crash course on how to lead, sell, and innovate with your visual mind. And Dan joins us on the show right now. Dan, welcome. Thank you, Dan. A pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. So the impetus of this book came from where? Well, I am a business guy who comes out of an art background. I have drawn all my life, uh, starting as a little kid. But, you know, if you think about it, most of us have drawn when we were very young. If you look at children, you know, they draw when they're in kindergarten. And I just kept on doing it. And that brought me into a management consulting role where I was the weirdo who would go up to the flip chart or the whiteboard and draw a picture of whatever I heard people talking about. And I want to be clear, the pictures that I was drawing were exceedingly simple. They might be a couple of circles, a box, a triangle, an arrow connecting them. And then if I was feeling really, really artistic, I might even add a stick figure up there somewhere and then some labels. And the idea being, and Dan, I'm sure you could imagine this, we've all been through you know, business meetings a million times, how different it is when someone takes the initiative and tries to visually capture what is being said it really is interesting because it kind of changes the temperature in the room. And if it's yeah. an aggressive sales meeting, it, it becomes a little bit more collaborative. If there's a lot of politics, a lot of that washes away because people then pick up the pen and add to the drawing. It's, it's very powerful. I would think that the effectiveness and the attention uh, on a person that is, is kind of drawing out a game plan or drawing out a, a, a sales idea ends up being greater than when somebody's just standing at, the, uh, at a podium and, and, uh, and speaking this instead. Oh, it's incredibly powerful. And there are, Dan, some very, very powerful cognitive and neurobiological, neuromechanical reasons why that is so. And just a couple of data points that I'd like to throw out there. If you think about it by weight, the human brain, your brain and my brain, probably one-third of every neuron that you have in your brain is there to help you process vision. More of our brain is dedicated to vision than any other thing that we do. Orders of magnitude more uh, neurons are active in vision than anything else, including language and talking. And then the second data point that's kind of cool is if you think about it, the human brain is actually a pretty small organ in our body. It only counts for about 2% of our total body weight, and yet our brain consumes 20% of our energy at any given moment. (laughs) So what I like to think, Dan, is if you put those two together, this little organ that's consuming a massive amount of energy, and more of that energy is going to processing vision than any other thing that we do, and you said the magic word a moment ago, attention, what we're trying to do in a meeting is, in the best possible way, get and capture the attention of the other people in the room. There is nothing that we can do that is more powerful to do that than being the person who draws the picture, therefore activating all of those neurons that want to process imagery, call them to task, and get them into the meeting, when typically that whole visual part is just lying dormant. And that's why it works so well. Uh, uh, one of the ideas you bring up in the book uh, is this concept of drawing is thinking. And it brings up an interesting area because 
seemingly in the workforce or going to college or even, you know, going to grade school, uh, in the course of our days, we just don't write as much as we used to. You know, we don't put pen to paper or pencil to paper as much as we used to. Most of it's done on computers. So in some respects, what you're talking about drawing is seemingly a way to kind of bring back a skill that that has been somewhat, pun intended here, a bit of a lost art. Oh, it is. And I would amplify that, my new favorite business where I'm going to amplify that, Dan, by saying that the studies are now conclusive, done across the world and over the last couple of decades, that number one, from a memory perspective, there is no better way to help you remember things than writing them down and drawing little icons or little sketches or little doodles that help you clarify. So that's kind of point number one. And the second one that you mentioned, and this is really, really powerful, and it goes right to the heart of how do we learn. You nailed it. The tactile act of putting a pen or a pencil in our hand and sketching on a piece of paper, although it does not seem like it, turns out to have measurably improved impact on what we know and what we remember. So it turns out that if we spend our lives tapping on a keyboard, we're actually bypassing one of the most powerful mechanisms that our brain has to retrieve and capture information, which is the physical act, the kinesthetic act of trying to sketch it out on a piece of paper. Keyboard is an amazing tool for inputting a very linear set of symbols, which become linear words, which become a linear explanation of an idea. That's awesome. But what they do not do is enable us to capture the more spatial, kinesthetic, and visual side of ideas as well. And that's where the pictures come in. So then is it just basically uh, speed and effectiveness, the reason why we've seen this this shift away from writing and, and away from, uh, to a degree, away from drawing, to uh, uh, whether it be business or in school? Well, gosh, you know, there are a thousand reasons for that. We can go all the way back into the history of our educational system and, and a lot of things. But I would say that in my mind, it's really an interesting little switch, isn't it? Because if you think about the dominance of social media right now from a technological perspective, and you, if you think about it, the image and photos are really the core of so much of social media. And if you think about whether it's Snapchat or Instagram or even Facebook or uh, Pinterest or any of these things where the image has really become central to the way that we communicate. I think that we spend a lot more time looking at pictures than we do probably writing or had in the past. But the trouble is, just because we're looking at pictures does not mean that those pictures are actually helping our brain learn very many things. That's why I like to step away often from the kind of the you know, eye candy imagery that's so associated with the sort of land grab of a lot of the sort of less desirable social media to just try to capture our attention uh, by showing us an image that that may be evocative at kind of the deepest level of our brain. Mm -hmm. I would like to use that and replace it by saying, well, since we've got visual attention, what kind of images or pictures can we create that are actually useful for us, that move our mind ahead, that clarify problems and give us more information? And what I've found is those pictures, the ones that work the best, are the hand-drawn simple images, yeah. stick figures, circles, and arrows. You draw those, you're going to get someone's <laughs> attention at a powerful way. And that's, and that's the interesting piece to it, because, you know, a lot of people who don't claim to be very good artists, I'm kind of in that group, uh, this is not, you know, you're not trying to be Da Vinci here uh, or, or Monet. It's very simple and stuff that we've learned from, you know, from an early age. 
Absolutely. Well, and in fact, I like to make the distinction, and I think, Dan, you touched on it a little a couple of minutes ago. When I talk about drawing, I want to be really clear. I am not talking about an artistic process. Right. I am talking about a thinking process. Right. No, and you said it. Nobody cares in these meetings or these uh, sales sessions or these planning reviews. Nobody cares about the quality of your drawing. Does that look like that actual person? Right. Nobody cares. <laughs> but what people care about is, do I understand your idea? What are the three main pieces of your idea? And how does the first piece lead to the second, which logically leads to the third, or, and so on? And when I can see it, my visual mind lights up and says, yeah, I get it, I get it, I get it. Can I have the pen now because I saw it the other way and maybe connect an arrow? And now this back and forth of handing the pen back and forth, this is real easy. It becomes an incredible mind meld especially when you're in a leadership position or a sales position where you are trying to convince someone of the power of your idea, sketch out the first half, hand the person the pen and ask them, well, what do you think about this? And what that does is it eliminates the stress of saying, I want you to draw me a beautiful picture. Forget that. Just connect the dots. Does that seem like the right path to you? Yeah. Or is there another path over here? Very powerful stuff. Dan Rome is the author of the book, Draw to Win. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. If you'd like, uh, your comments are welcome. Or if you can't get to your phone, you can send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Uh, you also bring up something interesting in the book. Great diagram. Uh, uh, of, you know, people, obviously, the, the personalities of people are, are vastly different. When I mean, you walk down the street, you, you, you'll meet somebody different, uh, you know, about 50,000 people that, that could be different from the way you think. Uh, but you, br- you break it down looking at two different people and the success that they have. Uh, through kind of this venue, one being Jack Welch, uh, the former uh, chief of, of General Electric, and the other being Diane Sawyer, longtime member of the media. Exactly. Well, it's interesting. I like to compare Jack and Diane uh, because they both come at, they're both very, very successful people by any kind of measure, both personally and professionally, generally regarded as very, very successful people, which is great. And yet, if you look at how they talk about what they did and what motivated them to move into business and do it the way they did, they come from two polar opposite directions. So, for example, Diane Sawyer says, find the thing that you're passionate about and pursue that and you will be successful. And Jack Welch comes at it from the perspective of saying, identify the thing that makes your business very successful and then push with that. So one is coming from what is already working in your business, run with that, as opposed to go out and kind of find your muse and make that work. And it's interesting because there, it's, it's almost binary. One is coming from this direction, one is coming from this direction, and yet they both have this amazing success. And in the case of both these characters, what I also like is that both of them were extraordinarily visual. Lots of charts, lots of diagrams, lots of sketches as a way to map, map out their own paths. And there's another character I'd, I'd add into this drama who's kind of a hero of mine. It's a guy named Mark Benioff, who is the uh, founder yeah. and CEO of Salesforce. Uh, itinerant and just incredible drawer. Um, and his drawings, again, are not good. Uh, but the number of times that, that Mark Benioff has been quoted as going into a meeting and say, you know, I picked up a pen, I sketched out an idea to show how does Salesforce work or how does the cloud work or how does the technology stack work 
What a powerful sales tool. And I think, Dan, it's important to mention one other thing. Earlier on, we were talking about people, don't be afraid of your artistic talent. We're drawing very simple shapes. If you look at any of the sketches that are created by any of these characters, or Steve Jobs, who was an incessant whiteboard drawer as well, uh, the drawings are not gorgeous. But what's amazing about them is when you look at them, you get the clarity of the idea. And the other point that I think is important to put in here is like any skill, like speaking clearly or, I don't know, doing it, just about anything you want to do well, practice does help. So it's really good if you decide to choose this path to try to be a little bit more visual in your meetings or your presentations or your leadership style. By all means, do it because you're going to be in very good company. Richard Branson draws all the time. There's yeah. Charles Schwab draws all the time. Uh, a lot of folks. But do practice a little bit because the last thing you want to find is uh, that you go up to the whiteboard and you say, oh, gosh, I wouldn't know what to draw. You don't want to do that. You want to practice a little bit. Get these simple shapes down. And it's a good way to practice what you want to say to someone before you go into the room, too. Well, and you look at it, and you mentioned one area already, uh, but you look at it uh, through a couple of areas and how kind of taking this philosophy ends up, uh, you know, affecting the business. W- one, obviously, is sales, which which you kind of mentioned. But two, another area you go into is innovation. So uh, go back and explain how those two areas really are affected by, by having this kind of philosophy. Okay, Dan, well... Uh, you know, I live here in Silicon Valley. I'm up in San Francisco, and I have been blessed over the last uh, many years to have a chance to work with many of the leading companies in technology, whether it's Google or Microsoft or, uh, you know, uh, you name it, I've, uh, Salesforce again. It's, it's really a great place to be if you're into this world of innovation. Because, as you know, the driving technical term these days for business success is innovate. And there are lots of great tools out there for how to be a good innovator. But I think what's interesting is neglected the most powerful and simple tool for how to innovate, which is this. And this has been used hundreds of times over the history of invention and innovation. You simply take a look at whatever the technology is or the solution is to a problem today, and you sort of map it out. Just sketch it out. Pick any problem you want. I don't know. It could be air travel. How do we do it today? It could be light bulbs. What do they look like today? It could be energy consumption or energy production. What does it look like today? And then all you need to do is turn your picture upside down. And I know it's metaphorical, but it's also literal. Turn the picture upside down and ask, what would happen if I turned today's existing solution upside down? Would I perhaps see something that had been missing as we've optimized this particular process over the years? And very often you will say by flipping it backwards, turning it upside down, reversing the image, literally reversing the picture, you'll say, well, wait a minute. Now that I look at it from this other perspective, maybe that step right there isn't needed at all. And if I turn the whole problem upside down, maybe I find that what we've done is we've kind of evolved the solution, which may be today a little bit archaic given some of the technologies we have. Literally, do I see something new? And, and Dan, I'll go on with this because I love it. But to me, right. I think the best definition of innovation is, as always, the simplest definition. Innovation to me is looking at the same old things through a new set of eyes. And what possible better way is there to draw a picture of the status quo and then reverse it and say, is this perhaps a better solution or do I see something new? And I've got case studies I could cite, but I think I had to pause for a moment and let you ask what you think about that. Well, I, I think it's interesting because um, I, I think there are there are so many avenues to 
to thought and, and to this that that I, I'm trying to wrap because I, I live in a very you know I don't live in 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 this world which you know for the most part you know I'm doing the show and I'm I'm prepping and and I'm thinking very you know thoughtfully I don't work in a very visual. Uh, in a very visual word, I think, for the most part, even though I'm in, I'm in the media. So, I, I mean, for somebody like myself, how how should I think about, you know, trying to be more visual in your mindset? Oh, absolutely, Dan. So I have a, a simple little toolkit, a simple little approach for people who may think they might want to be more visual but are yeah. not in a visual world or yeah. don't know how to do it. It's very simple. Just take a pen and take a piece of paper and start to think about, I don't know, maybe it's going to be your program today or some challenge that you're facing or some problem in your life or in your business, and simply draw a circle. Draw a circle on your piece of paper and label that circle with whatever is the first thing that comes to mind when you start to think about your challenge or your problem. Right. It could be anything. You, it, you might label that first circle me, or you might call it my program, or you might call it my listeners, or whatever. Yeah. And then go ahead and draw another circle and say, well, what would this one be labeled? Well, if the first one was called, and let's take this for a moment. If the first one was called me, and the second circle was called my listeners, you'd then think, well, okay, what's the size of those circles? Where there's only one of me, but there are lots and lots of listeners, okay? And then draw a little square that says, this is the content that my listeners are most interested in. And then maybe draw another little square that says, this is the content that I tried last week, which didn't work so well. And then maybe make a star over here and says, so what could I do about that? And the point I'm trying to make here is it's a real simple, very simple, beautifully elegant little way to capture things that are running around in our mind in these various clouds by simply drawing these shapes and then connecting them with some arrows and thinking about, well, which shape is on top here or what shape is in the center Am I at the center of my world, or is my audience at the center of my world? And how would that look if it was different? And back to our innovation question, you as a, as a radio media person might say, I don't know, you might draw your little picture to say there's a circle in the middle, and that's me, yeah. and then there's a big circle surrounding me that's my audience. Well, what would happen if you turned that around and said the central circle is actually my audience? Well, where does that then put you? And it becomes a fascinating kind of thought exercise to say, what would happen if I turned this picture around? What would it then look like? And this, you know, this is how innovation works. Ninety percent of things that we try to innovate end up not being any better than what we had. We'll call right. them a failure. Right. But out of that, we get a few good ones, and that's the trick. Well, that's interesting because I would think that if you're in that specific scenario, if you're flipping the the circles, uh, aren't I aren't I you know just putting more focus on the actual people than rather on myself? It could be. It could be. You don't know until yeah. you've had a chance to think it through. That's why I love yeah. these tools, because I would say, Dan, probably one thing we haven't brought up that's kind of a favorite little, I don't know, thought about this is by taking advantage of the power of our visual mind, what we're really doing is intentionally coming to understand how does this incredible process of vision actually work. And what I mean by that is literally the neuromechanical, neurobiological, electrical process going on in our brain thousands of times a second of turning light into meaning in our head. And what I mean by that is when we open our eyes, light comes in, and within almost instantaneously, that's where all that visual energy is being expended. That's where all those calories are going. We're turning that light into meaning, into pictures that we see that give us direction. And when we understand literally how that process works, 
we can hijack that process. And this is what I really love. Number one, vision is predictable. Right. That is, if I need to explain something to you, I know what your visual engine is going to be looking for in terms of what pictures does your brain want to see and in what order. And if I can create those pictures in advance and then quite literally visually feed them to you in the right sequence, you will see exactly what I wanted you to. That's very, very powerful. And the second part of it is you and I together will begin to see things that would have been invisible if we were just talking about them because we're activating all of these visual processing centers that are so powerful and so quick, and most of the time when we're talking are simply lying dormant. And, and then the, the potential for the level of effective, effectiveness goes way up, too, correct? Oh, absolutely. The, the effectiveness of what you're trying to communicate goes right through the roof. And as you'd mentioned earlier, gathering attention. I now, because I'm being visual, have your attention. You know, it's funny, I often think about it. If you imagine, you know, Dan, you're with Wharton. I mean, we've been in a thousand business meetings. You know, if you think about it, how many mechanisms in a business meeting do any of us really have to be the person who captures attention? Well, maybe we can be the most attractive. Maybe we can be the most charismatic. Maybe we can be the most thoughtful. Maybe we can be the loudest. You know, there's a, a range of things that we can do. But here's the one that just amazes me that people don't use it very often. The one sort of artistic, brilliantly visual thing that any one of us can do in any meeting and guarantee we're going to get attention is simply go up to the board and start drawing. <laughs> I mean, we can't dance. You know, it, it, nobody gets up on the table and says, let me dance out my, my project plan. And we can't break into song. I mean, that rarely happens in a meeting where someone says, well, let me sing to you my, my you know, innovation vision. The one sort of creative aspect that we have that taps into parts of our minds that really want to engage is to be visual. Pick up a pen, draw your picture, you're going to win. And, and this ends up probably being a, a, a version of this world of data that we have that probably doesn't get discussed uh, probably nearly enough, correct? Oh, well, my gosh, you bring it up. Okay, here we go into the world of big data. you got it. There is so much data and information that's being generated. What was the quote? Uh, I think IBM in their, in their global report last year said that 90% yeah. of all of the data that has ever been captured in human history has been captured in the last two years. 90%. It's yeah. crazy. That is an amount of data that none of us can even conceive of. So here's where pictures come in. Our visual mind, again, is super, super good at looking at vast sets of data and making sense of it as long as that data is represented in a visual way. And when I say that, that could be a chart, it could be a map, it could be a schematic diagram. You know, when we look at a bar chart, we instantly, within about a hundredth of a second, already know which lines are longer than which other lines. That is orders of magnitude faster than it takes us to parse a spreadsheet. And if you imagine the depth of the data spreadsheets that are now available, it's overwhelming to us. Sure. And you think about what IBM is trying to do with Watson and get it to, to parse this vast amount of data very quickly. We are better than Watson because we have a visual engine. We can look at visually presented data and instantly see patterns and outliers and trends that are, would, again, be invisible if we were just looking at spreadsheets or just trying to talk our way through it. And that's what I really want to capture. The way we're going to get big data is we're going to become more visual, not less. Great to have you on the show, Dan. Greatly appreciate it. Excellent work by you. 
Thanks, Dan. I appreciate it. Thank you. All the best. Uh, Draw to Win is the book. Dan Rome is the author. Uh, It is available in bookstores and online right now. Pick it up. Uh, Very interesting uh, book to go through. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.